Here we go. The first thing that John is going to do, we are headed for John chapter 6, verse 22. You really ought to open up your Bibles. Uh, you have the text from the New Living Translation there in your bulletin, so you can kind of follow along. I really want you to just follow the flow of the text this morning because it's excellent. The first thing that, Paul, that John that John is going to do is he introduces a new scene. The first scene is Jesus feeds the 5,000. The second scene, Jesus walks on water, approaches the boat with the disciples, and then they end up oh, at their destination, the wind and the waves, they stop. And now we are beginning verse 22. He says, the next day, the crowd, picture this in your mind, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken the only boat. If you were here with us last week, you kind of remember what was going on. And they realized, the crowd realized, Jesus had not gone with them. These people, they're paying attention. They've noticed that Jesus missed the boat the night before. And they noticed that the disciples had left Jesus. Uh-oh. Verse 23. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. Remember that? I've told you three times already this morning, and some of you are like, wait, what's it now? What are we doing? Come on. I'm going fast through the first part because we're just creating the scene, and then we're off to the didactic part, to the teaching part, okay? So several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread, and the 5,000 people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went across to Capernaum to look for him. To look for who? Jesus. Right. This tenacious crowd is looking for Jesus again. You remember that when Jesus and his disciples escaped the first time in chapter 6, they were walking down the shore. They found a good grassy hill. They went up on the hill. The disciples thought we're trying to get away from the people. Jesus had a plan to just find a good place to feed 5,000 plus. Remember that? And sure enough, the minute they get there, the disciples get all comfortable. They find a shady spot and a comfortable rock, and they lay their head down, and they hear a crowd of people coming. Ugh. Right? They're trying to get away from the crowd. The crowd follows them. The crowd is following. They're looking for Jesus again. They got into the boats. They went across to Capernaum. This is a motivated bunch of people. <laughs> Verse 25. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked. I just, I'm having a distracting thought, so I'm going to tell you that way I'll stop thinking about it. On the 28th, you may have to look for church a little bit. You know, be motivated like these people. We got to find church. So if you come here on Sunday morning, the 28th, we're going to put a sign on the, on the, on the front door that says the rapture has happened. <laughs> if it makes you nervous then you probably need to stop and pray right there. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. But you may have to look for us a little bit, you know. Be tenacious like this group of people. Here we go, verse 25. They found him on the other side of the lake, and they asked. Okay, so the group gets there. They find Jesus, and they ask, Rabbi, honorific title, teacher, when did you get here? So this group of people, they are confused because... Jesus didn't, they know that Jesus did not leave with his disciples, and they know that he didn't take another boat. Something's up. They didn't understand how Jesus went from one place to another, and we're about to see, so they didn't understand the miracle that had just happened, and we're about to see that they didn't understand Jesus' other miracles either. 
Jesus has his audience in an inquisitive state here. As a communicator, we like that. We like it when people are sitting there with a question in their mind because that means you're listening. You're mentally engaged. These people show up and they're Jesus or rabbi, pardon me. They say, rabbi, when did you get here? How in the world did this happen? We don't understand. So their brains are open and they're like, speak to us. Verse 26, Jesus replied. He says, I tell you the truth. John does that a couple of times in this passage. Whenever he says, I tell you the truth, it's kind of like whenever you tell your kids, hey, listen to me. Oh, see, that worked with you guys, didn't it? Yeah. So Jesus is doing the same thing here with his group of people. He says, hey, listen to me. I tell you the truth. Pay attention. This is important. You want to be with me because I fed you. I tell my kids that too. <laughs> Sunday lunch. Dad, we just love you. Where are you going for lunch? I'm sorry. I'm distracted. I tell you the truth, Jesus says. You want to be with me because I fed you, the 5,000, not because you understood the miraculous sign. These people thought that Jesus was just feeding them for the fun of it. Jesus has a plan. This is important. The crowd is searching for Jesus because he fed them a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish. Bread and fish, simple staples of that economy. Little bread, little fish, no big deal. There's nothing fancy. You can, bread is simple. I mean, even, even in our culture, we send our kids to school with a sandwich on bread because it's just easy. You know, you grab some bread. Um, I started to say you put it in your pocket, but I don't know if robes have pockets. Biblical robes. Wow, you guys are... What? <laughs> Grab some bread, put it in a satchel, I don't know, take it with you for the day. It's pretty easy. Uh, however, we know that bread is a little bit delicate, has a, has a tendency to dry out, or even worse, bread can get wet, you know? If you're in a fishing situation out on the ocean and the wind blows and the rain goes and now your bread is wet. Does that just make you want to barf? I shouldn't have put that in my notes. Or if you keep it in your pocket for too long, it gets moldy. It, it, it becomes inedible pretty easily, Right? Uh, my father-in-law and I used to, we, we used to fish a whole lot. We'd go up on the Animus River and we would take sandwiches with us, typically ham and cheese sandwiches because that's what you do. You take ham and cheese sandwich, we could put it in our fly vest, right? And about the middle of the day, I decide, man, I'm going to lay down on the bank and where it's cool and you lay down on your sandwich. <laughs> and then my father-in-law is a genius. He finds these Tupperware things and you put your sandwich in there and then it keeps it all nice. You can lay on top of your sandwich and eat it later. And it works. Point is, is bread, it's just bread. There's nothing fantastic about it. Just a regular staple of life, but kind of delicate. When Jesus was looking previously, when Jesus was, was looking for a good place to feed this crowd of people, he also, remember, when he was looking for a place to go up on the hill, the disciples thought we were going up there to just rest and relax. Jesus was looking for a place to feed people, because he already had a lesson plan ready to go. Did that just blow some of your minds? 
what? 22 verses ago, Jesus knew what was going to happen? That's amazing. (laughs) Jesus was performing a miracle to feed the hungry people, but it was also to illustrate an eternal point. He wasn't just feeding them for the here and now. He's setting up this moment of teaching. They all ate bread. They all ate fish until they were full. And the story tells us that they were full. Remember, everyone ate until they were full. But now, this morning, they are hungry again. Right? That is a story that happens in my house on a fairly regular basis. My poor daughter inherited my metabolism, so it doesn't matter what we eat in less than an hour. We need a snack. In fact, often, I've told you guys this before, and I know it's terrible, but before we finish a meal, Bethany or I, one, are going to say, what are we having for the next meal? (laughs) At breakfast, what's for lunch? At lunch, what's for dinner? Diane, what's the plan for breakfast tomorrow? We need a plan. We need to know that there's security in knowing what we're going to eat next. Amen? Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to stack because we eat and then we get hungry. Here is the lesson that Jesus has been setting you and me up to learn. Verse 27. Are you ready? I started to read it, but I felt like you weren't there. Okay? Listen very carefully. Jesus says, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that comes, pardon me, that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father, everyone say God the Father. For God the Father has given me the seal of His approval. Don't be concerned with perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. The New Living Translation, I think, kind of abandons the metaphor of the passage of the bread and jumps straight to the meaning. So I kind of favor uh, the New American Standard or even the ESV. I know I made some of you happy just by mentioning the ESV here this morning. So ESV, he he says, listen, because he he keeps the metaphor of of food really well, and I like that. Uh, He says, do not work For the food that perishes. Did you follow? Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Do you see the contrast? Food that perishes. It's kind of like sticking that sandwich in your fly vest and it falls in the river and... It's gross. We went hunting one time. I'm sorry, I'm distracted. Uh, Josh Kaufman and I and Brennan, we were, we were elk hunting, and we put all of our food in the cooler, including, uh, you know, we kind of have uh, this Hispanic influence on us, and so we didn't take Wonder Bread, we took tortillas. <laughs> we make our sandwiches with tortillas. I started to, uh, that's a, I deviate from my deviation. Anyway. So we go hunting, and everything's in the cooler, and our cheese got a little bit wet. But our tortillas were okay, so we put our, our, our 
wet cheese in our tortillas. You get hungry elk hunting, you eat anything. You chew on a cactus with a little bit of ham because you make ham and cheese sandwich and you roll it up. And I don't know that Brendan and I can ever eat ham and cheese in a tortilla ever again after that. It was like we're hungry. So we, why am I telling you that story? It has nothing to do with anything. Perishable food. That's what it was. Don't seek perishable food. Seek food that endures to eternal life. <laughs> uh, distractions about food. This is a bad passage for me. Whenever I was a kid, we went to Carlsbad Caverns a whole bunch, right? <laughs> Have you ever been to Carlsbad Caverns? Yeah. Did you get down to the bottom and they said, okay, if there's ever a cave-in, we actually have food stored down here. See, these are the things that I remember. They're like a bottomless pit. Who cares? What happens if we get trapped? What are we going to eat? You know? That guy, he's pretty meaty. He's, he's good. They store crackers in 55-gallon barrels down there in case you get trapped. Crackers, there's the eternal food. 50 years later, you open up your saltines, and they taste like they were made 50 years ago. <laughs> I don't know. Ah. <laughs> Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that, that endures to eternal life. Here you see the contrast of these people searching all over for bread that perishes. Hey, you guys, are you hungry? Yeah, I'm hungry. Let's go find Jesus. He says, stop searching for bread that perishes, that leaves you hungry in less than an hour, as opposed to bread that endures for eternity. The crowd was looking for bread to temporarily satisfy their immediate hunger. That's important to the story. The crowd was looking for bread, a type of bread, to temporarily satisfy their immediate hunger. Jesus was wanting them to find bread that would satisfy their soul for all eternity. Do you see the difference? So here's kind of the culmination of John chapter 6. He says, For God the Father has given me the seal of His approval. God the Father has given me the seal of His approval. He is saying, this is it. I am it. God has put His seal on me that I am the bread that is not perishable. So, in the context of John, the greater context of John, whenever he says God the Father, he's appealing to anybody and everybody who has some belief, some idea of a God. So it doesn't have to be the God that we think of. He, has, he says, God, whatever God that you think is worthy of your worship. I know I'm messing up some of the way, the way some of you think. God. Whatever God that you think of is worthy of worship, a Jewish God, a Greek God, a pagan God, so on and so forth, whatever God you think of, that God, the God, has placed his seal, has placed his stamp of approval on this man, Jesus. How do we know that? The proof is that Jesus miraculously 
fed 5,000 people. The proof is that he controls nature. He calms the wind. He stops the waves. He operates outside of the rules of physics as we know them. Jesus shows his divinity. God the Father, whatever God you believe in, that, that divinity, that God-likeness is being demonstrated in the characteristics of the supernatural, supreme being of Jesus Christ. Do you see what's happening? John is setting the reader up to know, to believe that Jesus is God. Whatever God you believe in, Jesus is that God. Come to earth to demonstrate the glory of an ever-eternal, everlasting, omnipotent, all-powerful God. Pretty incredible, isn't it? So the question is, are you seeking lunch or are you seeking the eternal living God of heaven and earth? There's the contrast. Are you just looking for another meal or are you looking for God? Because there's a part of all of us that searches for that higher power, that God. There's something greater than I am out there. I want to find it. I want to know what it is. And John writes this out beautifully so that we see that Jesus can feed the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch. He walks on water, calms the stores, the storm, and gets his disciples to the shore where they need to be. Jesus is supernatural. Jesus is divine. He is supreme. He is the God. So are you looking for lunch or are you looking for the living God. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? You have a limited amount of time and energy, right? Oh, Lord. I turn 46 next year, if I remember correctly. And I'm telling you, if you haven't gotten into your 40s yet, you suddenly realize that your time and energy, your capacity for energy and time is getting shorter and smaller very quickly. Diane and I have been working on a we, had a, we have a project that we've been working on. And used to, we would work for 12 hours, painting, cleaning up a house, whatever, just we worked. Now it's like four hours in, we're laying on the floor. Oh my Lord Jesus, help us, we're gonna die. So then we have to go to Freddy's or Rodolfo's. <laughs> seek substance, and then, you know, we're good for another 45 minutes to work. <clears throat> yeah. You realize as you get older how limited our time is, how limited our energy is, right? We're not going to live forever. Jesus' command to us is to stop using our time and energy searching for perishable things perishable things, things that aren't going to last. Instead, he says, use your time and energy to seek the eternal, life-giving God. Are you with me? You got your brain around what's going on? Jesus has said, God has set aside John chapter 6 to contrast, to build up this whole story of the importance of bread as opposed to the bread of life. And then he says, here's what is important. If you seek bread, you're going to be hungry in the morning. If you seek the bread of life, it will sustain you for all eternity. 
couple of weeks ago, again, same project, but we're slow now. A couple of weeks ago, I had to make uh, several trips out to the landfill, right? Anybody ever go to the landfill? I kind of enjoy going to the landfill. It's therapeutic for me. <laughs> Just go out there and see that everybody else has more trash than I do. I bring it up because the evidence is that a lot of us are searching for and finding perishable things, mountains of perishable things. You go out there, and they got this big bulldozer, and they just keep pushing it up, and I go out there and add my contribution to it, and they just Big old mountain of stuff that people saved for. No, they didn't. They put it on their credit card. They charged it. They used it for an hour. Then they put it in the trash, and then it goes to the dump, and now it's all piled up there, and next month they get the bill for it. Because we're seeking perishable things. We went garage selling yesterday, so we're supposed to be going to work. Diane and I end up going garage selling. And uh, this message is on my mind, and I'm thinking, here, here is stuff that people paid a lot of money for, and now they're selling it for 10% of its original value. Because when they were standing there in the store, this was so important. I threw away a PS4. Not exactly sure what that is, but my kids thought it was terrible that I threw away a PS4 two weeks ago. Hauled it to the landfill. I told Brennan, he's like, what? You threw away a PS4? That's the new one, man. So valuable. Yet it was in the trash. Taken to the landfill. Has no value at all now. So valuable. And then it changes. Has no value. What do you seek? What do you seek? Because Jesus tells us, don't spend your life seeking what is going to be hauled off to the landfill. He says, spend your life seeking that which will never pass away. One of my favorite verses is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. What? Seek the kingdom of God above all other things, and God will provide for our every need. Really? Trusting that Jesus, watch this, trusting that Jesus is God enough to provide you with everything you need, that is believing. Get your brain around that? Well, print. of course, we, we trust in Jesus to, uh, for salvation because we obviously can't save ourselves. That's a given. But Brent, we don't have to trust him for everything because, I mean, that's why we go and we go to school and we get a good education and we get a good job so that I can provide for myself and I can be my own provider. I can create my own security. I can take care of myself and then I'll take care as a man. I'm going to take care of my wife and I'm going to take care of my kids. And so, yes, I, I seek the kingdom of God for the blood of Jesus and his righteousness. But... Brent, really, I'm the man. I take care of myself. I take care of my family. I got this. 
Here's the compromise. I'm going to let you go with that thought for a second. We don't want to be outright materialistic, especially as church people. I didn't say Christians or believers. As church people, we don't want to be outright materialistic. So we learn to mask our selfishness. This group of people that come across the the sea to Capernaum to find Jesus, they don't say right off the bat, hey, Jesus, we're hungry, feed us. (laughs) My wife tells me not to do that. (laughs) No, they come and they're all concerned. Jesus, how did you get here? When did you arrive? Whatever, he calls them out. He's like, you're just a bunch of hungry little monkeys. Watch what, watch what happens in verse 28. So, so we mask our selfishness. Watch what happens. He says, they replied, we want to perform God's works too. Say, ah, no call to ministry. Just want to bless people with God's love. We want to perform God's work too, Jesus. What should we do? We're here to serve. Jesus tells them, this is the only work God wants from you. Are you with me? Believe in the one he has sent. (laughs) I always like it when Jesus slaps somebody down. What should we do, Jesus? Jesus says you should stop thinking that any of this is about you. That book won't sell. It will not sell. It won't sell. Come to church and the preacher tells you that Jesus is not here for your benefit? That you exist for the benefit and the glory of God? What? I'm going to find a different church. Jesus says, no. Their, Their question, what should we do? He says, you need to stop thinking that this is about you. First, they want to be fed. Jesus corrects them. So now they want to be involved in doing some miracles. These people are like undisciplined little children, you know, bouncing around. Feed us. Can we play with this? Can we go run around in the yard? Can we do that? Yeah. We would never act that way, right? So this is the trap that is so easy for us to fall into, for all of us. We start thinking along the lines of, I am a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm some, some way I work alongside of God. Therefore, because I invited somebody to church, because I go to church, uh, because I did soap once, I... I, am, I, I work alongside of God, so I must be saved. I must be in a right relationship with God. I must be righteous. I must be acceptable to God the Father because I work alongside of God. They say, we want to do miracles. We want to be next to Jesus. We want to be a part of this cool, miraculous ministry. We come and we think, well, I went to church once And I I listened, I disagreed, but I I listened to the preacher. And now they made me a greeter, or now I teach a class, or now I'm, I'm involved in the work of the Lord somehow, where I tell other people about soap. So because I'm involved in in organized Christianity, now I start thinking that I am a Christian because I'm involved. Do you understand? 
because it's true. I've been around church a long, a long time. It's getting really long, actually. A long time. And uh, I make the joke sometimes, we used to sing the hymn, When We All Get to Heaven. But baby, we're not all going to heaven. Some of you are going to split hell wide open. But I'm a Sunday school teacher. It makes no difference. It makes no difference. What can I do? And he says, stop making it about you and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I want to do something. I want to have some sort of contribution. I want to bring my little lunch to feed the 5,000. And Jesus is like, dude, did you miss the first miracle? Yeah. Jesus tells them, oh, I missed, the, I missed the rhythm of my message here. He says, I, I wrote, I said, now I'm a greeter. Now I teach a class. I'm involved in the work of the Lord. Now I am a Christian. And Jesus tells them, no, you're not. The only work God wants from you is that you believe that, that you believe in the one that God has sent. Believe that Jesus is fully God. Recognize him in your life as God. Now i got to put a parenthesis here because I thought about this this, this morning. As we look through history and we look at uh, religious history, uh, all of those who recognized a certain God, any God, they catered their lives around that God and his needs to serve and to worship that God, right? Does that make sense? They dressed a certain way. They behaved a certain way. They acted in response to recognizing that he is God. When we recognize that the Lord Jesus is God, then we stop asking, what can I do to be saved? And we recognize that it is completely God who saves us. Does that make sense? Just had to throw that in there. That was extra. Please reflect that in your giving. Moving along. That was funny, you guys. No, I'm being serious. Uh, Believe. Believe, that's the only thing that you can do. That's all that you can do. Believe in Jesus. Listen carefully. You are not going to work enough. You are not going to be good enough. You're not going to do anything enough. Just believe completely and wholeheartedly in Jesus. Now watch how the story progresses because again, this is something that people, not us, but people sometimes make this mistake even still today. In verse 30, he says, they answered. So he tells them, just believe. And this is their answer. Show us a miraculous a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? Now I read it kind of dry because it makes me angry reading it. Jesus has just fed them. They know about this miracle of on the, out on the ocean, on the sea. And then they say, show us a miraculous sign, Jesus. If you want us to believe in you, show us something spectacular. What can you do? Verse 31, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. These are the people who ate the little boy's lunch the previous day. 
Did they not recognize that as a miracle? These are the people who just asked Jesus how he got across the Sea of Galilee because they knew he didn't go aboard a boat. They have seen miracles, yet, are you with me? They have seen miracles, yet they continue to refuse to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They've seen the miracles. They know that Jesus is miraculous. They know that he is divine. They know that he is God. And then they stand right in front of him and they say, show us a sign. Give us a miracle. And then they do this little smarty pants thing where they say, Moses gave us bread from heaven. You ever want to thump somebody in the eyeball? If I knew these, when I meet these people in heaven, I'm going to hunt them down. No, I'm kidding. That's exactly the attitude that's going on here, though, right? Moses gave us bread from heaven. Can you do a miracle like Moses did for our ancestors while we were suffering in the desert? We were having such a terrible time, but Moses came along, and he gave us bread. He gave us manna. Are you as good as Moses, Jesus? Do something to impress us, Jesus. Make, make water come out of a rock. Make bread appear in the morning. Do something miraculous, Jesus. Are you as cool as Moses? Now Jesus is going to teach them something, right? So Jesus has his own, he has own form of correcting people. So listen carefully. Here we go. Verse 32, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Remember what I told you that's about a while ago? Pay attention. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. Are you following the text? This is why I didn't make points, because this is, this is way too heavy for making points. Jesus tells these self-absorbed little monsters, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. This may be the most basic of our misunderstandings of God. We attribute acts of God to a person or even to ourselves. I'm putting my head down, so I don't want to have to look anybody in the eye. Our misunderstanding of God is that when God does something, we say, look what I did. Or look what so-and-so did. Wow, they're fantastic. Look at Moses, Jesus. Can you imagine? Imagine this setting where you're talking to the living, breathing Son of God. God. And you say, can you do what Moses did? Are you nuts? Have you lost your ever-loving mind? Shut up! We attribute acts of God to ourselves or to other men. He says, the people say, what do we do? We want to do miracles. What do we do? 
And Jesus says, believe. Believe that God sent me. Believe in me as I stand before you. Believe in me as I give you bread and fish and you come back for seconds and I give you bread and fish and you come back for thirds. And I give you bread and fish. Believe. Show us a miracle. Shut up. We attribute acts of God to a person or to ourselves. We think that we provide for ourselves and our family. We come to dinner with Jesus and we bring a little boy's lunch and say, look what I did. And Jesus is like, that's not even on the menu. We think that we're big providers. No, we're not. We think that we provide safety and security for ourselves and for those that, are, that we love. I mean, it's kind of what we do as Americans, right? It's patriotic. we self-sufficient. We're men. We do this. Did you not read the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000? Did you not read 5,000 men, their wives and their children, showed up with nothing, and Jesus fed them? The next story is Jesus calming the sea and the storm because you have 12 guys in the bottom of a boat crying, saying, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? We're about to sink. We are out of control of this storm. We are going to die. We cannot create safety and security in this boat. We can't do it. It's beyond us. Jesus is who miraculously provides for us. Jesus is is who miraculously keeps us safe and cares for us and our loved ones. Jesus is. What do you do? You believe in Jesus. Why? Because He is our provider. He is our security. He is our safety. Not you. I'm sorry, guys. I just threw you under the bus, huh? If it were up to us, to any degree... We'd be lost in a storm with a tiny crust of wet bread and scared speechless. That's what we would do. You want to know what you do? You believe in Jesus. Well, Brent, I got to do something. You believe in Jesus. You seek first the kingdom of God, and then he'll add everything else. Yeah, but Brent, there's all the things I got to do. Shut up. Now listen carefully. Staying true to the text, I'm hurrying. I'm not hurrying, I'm trying to hurry. Stay true to the text of what's going on, but we're going to apply it a little bit. You don't provide for your material things. Jesus did, and even then, Jesus has provided something much more important than money and security. Are you with me? You know, we think that we do such a good job at providing, but the fact of the matter is, uh, everything comes from Jesus. And while we get all happy that we have money and we have security, Jesus is standing there in front of us saying, I have something much better than than that for you, though. Do you understand? You're going to come back hungry. You need to believe in Jesus for eternal life. The true bread of God, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, to you and to those that you love. It goes back to the uh, the prologue of of John, chapter 1. 
that life comes from Jesus. Everything that has life comes from Jesus. The fact that you're breathing right now is a manifestation of the divinity of God. Well, I went to work and I didn't, mm, buddy. Oh, man. Stop. Stop believing in yourself. Believe in Jesus. Jesus gives life with God forever and ever, starting now. They asked for food. They wanted to see another miracle. They compared Moses to Jesus. They were clueless. But you and I have the Bible to teach us and to train us so that we don't have to be clueless like these people in this story. We can read and we can see that Jesus is the son of the living God, come to give you eternal life when you believe. When you get your eyes off of temporary things, when you stop believing in yourself, I know that that is culturally contradictive. When you recognize that what you bring to the table is insignificant and Jesus brings everything. See, if you don't understand who Jesus is, that statement is alarming. Well, Brent, I, I don't have enough, and I recognize that I don't have enough, and now i got to go to counseling because you just affirmed that I don't have enough. You don't need to go to counseling. You need to go to Jesus. I need a better job so that now I'll have more self-worth. <laughs> no, because everything that you buy with that job is going to end up in the landfill, and you're going to be depressed about it. Stop it! When you recognize that what you bring to the table is insignificant and Jesus brings everything, when you realize that you can't and only Jesus can, when you finally trust that Jesus does life miraculously, abundantly, generously, extravagantly, gracefully, mercifully, Personally, when we believe, then everything else is taken care of. Jesus came so that you might believe. We read it every single Sunday. These things are written so that you may believe in Jesus, so that you may have eternal life. Last couple of verses. I am going to end. Sir, they said, verse 34, Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. They still don't understand. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I ask with all of the gravity that I can muster, what do you seek? Well, Brent, this is a salvation message, and I'm already a Christian. Buddy, you need to think through, what do you seek? What is it every day that motivates you, that drives you? You have one life to live. What do you seek? You have one chance to really live big. What do you seek? Because we're tempted to live big by... Buying a bigger pickup, a bigger house, a bigger TV. I threw away a 70-inch TV two weeks ago. Hallelujah. <laughs> Means nothing. Has no value whatsoever. You have one chance to live really big. What are you going to seek? You have one chance to do this right. What do you seek? 
as a pastor, I say, seek Jesus. The apostle John, who walked with the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, seek Jesus. The Holy Spirit in 66 books says, seek Jesus. The living God of heaven and earth says, seek Jesus. What is it that you seek? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these other things are taken care of. I'm coming to an end. We're going to share communion. Your problems, they are too big for you. Your storm, it will sink you. You need to place your trust in Jesus to be your provider, to be your deliverer, to be your savior, to be your God. The God that you believe is in control of everything, not just the wind and the waves, not just what's for lunch, but he's in control of your destiny. He's in control of your eternal life. He's control, in control of your provision. He's in control of your family. He's in control of your marriage. He's in control of your health. He's in control of your occupation. You put your trust in God. And then he takes care of things.